Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today you'll be hearing part two of the murder of Jackie Waller. I fully anticipated Jackie's case being two episodes, but the more I researched, the more I realized that in order to tell the whole story, it would have to be three. For those of you who prefer listening to multi-part episodes, hold tight just a little longer for part three. And for everyone else, small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Last week, we went over the decline of Jackie and Clay Waller's marriage and the threats he made to her until the day she disappeared. Following her disappearance, we talked about the investigation that went from zero to a hundred in a matter of hours and Clay's bullshit stories in his attempt to fuck with everyone who was trying to figure out what happened to his estranged wife. Jackie's family, the community, and the Jackson Police Department were taking no shit and had no doubt in their minds that Jackie wasn't just missing, that she had been murdered and at the hands of Clay. They just needed to prove it. In the month after Jackie's disappearance, there were countless searches that had all come up empty. But on July 13th, 2011, all that changed. They finally found something, and it was her business cards. Her new cards for her new work-at-home job, and they were still neatly tucked away in her business card holder. But they weren't found near her car or even near Clay's house. If you recall, Jackie's SUV was found with a flat tire off of the Fruitland exit on I-55. If you take that exit and head east, you can pretty quickly get all the way down to the Mississippi River. Before you get there, though, there's an old road that's almost gravel now where a few rows of mobile homes sit on each side of the street. The residents of that street get their mail at a cluster of mailboxes at the end of the road, and that's where Jackie's business cards were found. The woman who found them told KFVS that she'd been out to the mailboxes several times since Jackie disappeared, and she had never seen them. It was almost as if someone placed them there. Jackie's business cards were something that would have been in her purse, but her purse was still missing, and so was everything else inside. Why all of a sudden was one single thing from her purse being found in an area that she would have no reason to be? Had they fallen out of her purse when someone was on their way to dispose of it? Or was it possible that someone had placed them there? If they were placed there, why? Were searchers getting too close? Was this an attempt to try and have some kind of control over the investigation? Or was someone just toying with them because they could? Every single option seemed plausible at this point. Regardless of how they got there or why, it didn't really matter. They had finally found something that belonged to Jackie. It looks like all of this new press stemming from this new find prompted Clay's attorney to finally make a statement. He told KFVS that Clay had nothing to do with Jackie's disappearance and that they had substantial evidence to back it up. If that's the case, why weren't they up the cops' butts and rounding the corner? If you were being side-eyed for a disappearance and possibly a murder, and you could prove that you didn't do it, wouldn't you be spending your time pitching a tent in the police station until someone listened to you? But no, Clay was too busy trolling search teams to pitch a tent. At this point in the investigation, the rallying behind Jackie and her family, coupled with the batshit bananas husband, gained national media attention. 
Jackie's father went on the Today Show, and when asked what he thought happened to his daughter, without any hesitation, he said, Oh, I know what happened to her. There's no doubt in my mind. We were talking to her friend, a friend of ours was talking to her, about a minute before she went in Clay's house, and she was never heard from again. And you know, we know exactly what happened. The FBI forensics team was in that house for several days, and they can tell you exactly what happened. They probably won't, but they could. In a later interview, the International Business Times quotes him as saying that blood had been found in Clay's home and that he had seen the evidence bags. We went from almost no evidence to business cards to knowing that the FBI had searched Clay's house and that they had found blood. It is no wonder that Jackie's family had no issues calling Clay out. With all of this going on, Clay seems to have gotten a wild hair up his ass because after his silence ended, his mouth never stopped. According to Fox News, he had a pity party for himself saying, It's crazy. I got a helicopter following me every day. Police are following me. I'll tell you what is not happening is that the cops are not searching for my wife. I have not done anything. I miss my wife. I hope for a safe return. Bitch, it would be a windy day in hell if a helicopter was following you everywhere. And let's be honest, you're not worth the gas. It does sound like you've gotten a cute case of paranoia, though. And let's cut the shit. He was well aware of the searches for Jackie because he'd been driving by them and flicking people off. The only person not searching for Jackie was Clay. The searches for Jackie continued since, you know, they never stopped. But on July 27th, Jackie's father told CBS News that he expected there to be a break in her case in the next week. And he was right. Kind of. Just two days later, news broke that Clay had been arrested, not on one charge, but two, neither of which had to do with Jackie. Clay was charged with felony stealing by deceit and harassment. Neither charge had anything to do with the other. According to documents from the Southeast Missourian, the stealing charge came from all the way back in 2010 when he allegedly misappropriated a $55,000 check. It looks like he was given the money to work on one of his construction-esque projects, but instead of buying the materials and completing the job, he used the money for materials for other projects and to pay salaries. As far as the harassment charge, documents obtained by the Southeast Missourian state that on July 27th, around 10 p.m., Clay threatened to kill a guy named Gary. But that's just the end of that story. Prior to that threat, Gary's estranged wife, who seems to be Clay's recent ex-girlfriend Cassandra, the one he left his son with, filed an ex parte order against Clay. It looks like that's essentially an order where the other party doesn't have to be notified in order for it to go into effect. A temporary restraining order was listed as an example. According to the documents, Clay had called Cassandra asking when she was going to be home because he was waiting for her. When she got home, she called Gary and asked him to call Clay and tell him to stay away from her and the kids. It sounds like there's some kind of backstory to all this, like they all knew each other beforehand, but let's get back to the story. Eventually, Cassandra gets Gary on the phone and adds Clay into a three-way call where Gary told Clay to stay away. 
In response, the document states that Clay then told Gary that he was going to kill him like he should have done last week because he had killed Clay's wife. What in the daytime television is going on here? With the wild ass accusations and threats, Clay took it up a notch and told Gary and Cassandra that he was at Cassandra's apartment. As soon as he said that, Gary heard a knock on Cassandra's door through the phone and hung up and called the police. Police rushed to Cassandra's apartment, but by the time they got there, Clay was nowhere to be seen. An hour or so later, police got a call from Clay that he had heard they were looking for him, but that he hadn't even been in town that day. So, I mean, he couldn't have been the one at Cassandra's door exactly when he said he was with two witnesses to back it up. Obviously, that was crap and Clay was arrested. According to the Southeast Missourian, his attorney said that the charges were bogus and that the police were just trying to get him into a room so they could interrogate him. He also went on to question how police even knew Clay was in town because he was only there for the day visiting someone and wondered if they had a trace on his car or phone. Let's unpack that. If police were just trying to get Clay into a room to interrogate him and it took charging him with stealing back in 2010 to do it, I'm going to go right ahead and hop on board that train. And why in the world is an attorney going public wondering if police had a trace on his client's phone or car? First of all, if they do, they had some probable cause to get that warrant. And second of all, on what planet do you think the police are not tracking Clay's movements? It took a month or so for Clay to finally have a day in court, and when he did, it was a bond hearing. His attorney wanted it reduced, but the assistant prosecutor did not. Why? For the first time in the history of Jackie's disappearance, KFVS reports that the assistant prosecutor stood up and called Clay a suspect. Not a person of interest, a suspect. We've talked about it before, but a person of interest is kind of a nothing term. It's someone the police are interested in talking to. A suspect is someone the police suspect did something. As soon as the defense heard the assistant prosecutor call Clay a suspect, the Southeast Missourian reports that his defense tried to correct her, saying, you mean person of interest? No, no, she did not. So she repeated it for him. And if I could insert a laugh cry emoji as a sound without being obnoxious, this is exactly where it would go. She did that. And to be even more clear, she spoke with Heartland News later that day and reiterated that Clay Waller was a suspect in Jackie Waller's disappearance. Regardless of the revelation that Clay's fucked status had gone into warp speed, Clay's charges were not in relation to Jackie's disappearance, and his bond was reduced. Just a few days later, he was released from jail. According to the Southeast Missourian, the judge told him, you are to have no contact with any of the people in any potential investigation. You know who they are. This has been very public. If I hear any allegation of that, you're going to be sitting back in jail with a high bond. But Clay didn't get a chance to violate that bond because as soon as he was released from jail, the U.S. Marshals swooped him up and took him in on federal charges for internet harassment. If you thought Clay couldn't get any more dumb, you were wrong. Back in the day, there used to be this really popular website called Topics. The true crime community would go there to talk about different cases going on, and family members and friends would even post and discuss updates on the cases. 
Well, apparently, Clay got wind of Jackie's sister being on the website, and on July 26, around 10 a.m., KFVS reports that this dumbass waltzed into a pizza place and asked if he could use their business computer so he could get on the internet. I don't know what's more odd, going to a pizza place at 10 a.m. or asking to use the business computers instead of ordering pizza, but Clay was two for two. In the end, they said that he could use the computer, took Clay back to the office, and it's there that he logged on to Topics under a fake name and sent Jackie's sister the following message. You are dead, I promise. If those kids get hurt, your fault, accident, nobody's fault. Your dad threatened Clay. I know he's all talk. I will get you. Five, ten, twenty-five years from now, you have it coming. Clay didn't disguise himself or clear the computer's search history, so when Jackie's sister reported the threat to police, they tracked down the IP address, checked the CCTV footage, and bing, bang, boom, figured out it was Clay. My favorite part of all of this is that they waited for Clay to waste his money on bail before they arrested him again. We should point out for like a single second that this threat to Jackie's sister was the day before the threat he made to Gary. Clay is an arrogant, cocky son of a bitch, and that combined with being public enemy number one never ages well. When it was time for Clay to go to court, shit got real. Once again, his court hearing was for something unrelated to Jackie's disappearance, and it became very Jackie-centered. During the hearing, KFVS reports that the U.S. assistant attorney announced that Clay had actually been indicted by a grand jury on charges that hadn't been announced yet and asked if the court could be moved to a long-term care facility. Seems strange, but I'm listening. As it turns out, that long-term care facility is where Clay's father lived. The father whom Clay had allegedly told that he had killed Jackie and buried her in a hole. I'm sorry, what? That came out of nowhere. This entire time, most people were thinking that Clay had put Jackie's body in the river. I mean, there was all this talk about a boat, then finding her business card so close to the river. That's where everyone's mind went. But there's more. So much more. No one could have prepared for everything that was about to unfold during and after this hearing. The U.S. assistant attorney went on to say that there was new evidence. Now, we know from Jackie's father that the FBI had searched Clay's house and that blood evidence had been found, but that's all we knew until now. According to KFVS, down that long, dark hallway that was once lined with playmats and kids' toys, law enforcement found blood spatter on both sides of the wall, as well as on the carpet. We'll go into just how much blood there was and how they found it a little bit later. When police asked Clay about it, the Southeast Missourian reports that Clay told them that the blood came from an accident that happened in his kitchen, that Jackie's face started to bleed like a lot, and that she started running towards the master bathroom and then tripped in the hallway and fell, causing more injuries to her face. After she fell, Clay said that she screamed and tried to stand up, but was dizzy and fell back down. It's at that point that he says that she started thrashing around and was pissed. 
Eventually, he told police that he helped her up and she went into the master bathroom to clean herself off. But wait, there's more. According to documents obtained by the Southeast Missourian, Clay went on to say that while Jackie was in the master bathroom with her back towards the sink, he heard her sneeze and that blood and snot was in the bathroom, but that she cleaned it up. What a fucking story. So according to him, she gets an injury from an accident in the kitchen and decides to run past the closest bathroom and into the bathroom in her estranged husband's bedroom. And he heard her sneeze, right? He didn't say he saw it, he said he heard it, which means that he probably wasn't in there. But then how did he know which way her back was facing and that blood and snot was in the bathroom? I mean, he did say that it was Jackie that cleaned it up. This dude was a cop at one point, and I can only assume that he was the worst one ever. Police asked Clay why he hadn't said anything about any of this the first time they spoke, or even the first time they searched the house, and I shit you not, he told them that it was no big deal, and that he was amazed at how many times the police walked over her blood without seeing it. You know, the hallway that had the playmats and toys all over it, and conveniently enough, a light that wasn't working. This court hearing was mind-blowing for everyone that had been following Jackie's case. The U.S. attorney was making the argument that Clay should not be allowed out because he was a dangerous man. Everything you've heard up until now just about sums that up, but we haven't even gotten to Jackie's diary yet. Remember how Jackie's dad said that leaving her laptop in the SUV was a big, big mistake that we'd be hearing about? Well, now's that time. Jackie's diary was a deep and tragic look into what her life with Clay looked like. The Southeast Missourian was able to get a copy of what she wrote, so here we go. Let's start out with some of the things that Jackie wrote that Clay had confessed to her about. Jackie wrote that Clay had told her that while he was a cop back in 1995, there had been a bank robbery. He allegedly claimed that the person who robbed the bank threw the money at a tree, at which point Clay took the money and spent it. At another point, she wrote that Clay claimed to have robbed a bank himself, but she wasn't sure where. In another entry, Jackie wrote that Clay claimed to have shot a man named Gary while he was taking a drink. She wrote that she didn't know where this took place, but I want to point out that this Gary has the same name as the Gary that Clay was charged with harassing, so there definitely was some backstory there. While Clay claimed to have shot at Gary, Jackie wrote that he told her that he'd actually killed a man during a forest fire in Colorado, noting that it would have had to have been some time between 1988 and 1992. She wrote that Clay said that the man he killed thought Clay was looting his property when he was really just trying to get away from the fire, that Clay thought it was either him or the other man. This seemed like something that would be easy enough to fact check, so I went down a Google rabbit hole about forest fires in Colorado between 1988 and 1992. From what I could find, there were two. The I Do Fire in 1988 and the Black Tiger Fire in 1989. I couldn't find any fatalities listed for either fire, and I even checked for suspicious deaths in the areas during the time frame of the fires. As far as the I Do fire, it looks like most of that was in a wildlife area. The Black Tiger fire definitely caused some significant property damage, but the homes I saw in the area the fire was mapped out on didn't look like it was anywhere where you'd be if you weren't there on purpose. The homes were pretty spread apart, and it looked like it'd be pretty hard to accidentally wind up in someone's backyard. 
It seems like Clay's bullshit meter is going off here, but that's not the only person that Jackie wrote about Clay admitting to killing. According to her diary entries, Clay claimed that he and the man he shot were sexually assaulted by said man's father, and that the man he shot, whom he claims was 21 at the time, had done nothing to stop it. I'm not putting names into this one of Clay's alleged confessions because I have no evidence to back up his claims. That being said, I looked up the man he made these claims against, and it does look like he had a son who died. However, I couldn't find any reports indicating that he'd been shot, let alone killed. Regardless of whether we believe Clay or not, this is what he told Jackie, and she was scared enough to write it down. She wrote that Clay told her that she knew too much about his past and that he wouldn't take the chance of her divorcing him because she'd be able to testify against him in court. Now that we've covered all of Clay's alleged confessions to Jackie, let's go through the personal entries that she made by date. Again, the only reason we know any of this is because of the incredible work the Southeast Missourian did in covering Jackie's case, so the following comes from the documents that they were able to obtain. In June of 2010, a year before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay got angry with her and told her that he was going to his truck to get his gun. In that entry, she wrote that she was able to stop him before he could and that the kids ran over to comfort him. The following month, in July of 2010, 11 months before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay had packed his bags and started walking out the door, but while he was walking out, slammed her head against the wall, which knocked off some pictures. She wrote that when he walked out, she locked the door behind him, but that he then kicked the door open and told her that he was going to get his gun so that she could blow her head off. She wrote that Clay got his gun and tried dragging her into the house by her hair, but that she got away and when she was about to run to the neighbor's house, Clay took the bullets out of the gun and threw the gun at her. She ended her entry saying that the two of them went inside and talked and that she kept the gun. That same month, on July 17th, she wrote that Clay had taken the kids on a camping trip and had asked her to take a picture before they left. He later told her that he'd asked her to take that picture because he had planned to kill the kids that weekend because he knew that that would be the way to hurt her. There were three months without any entries, but in October of 2010, eight months before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay had asked her if they were going to get back together. Remember, she tried her best to make things work. According to her entry, Jackie told Clay that she still had trust issues. It doesn't sound like that's the answer he was looking for, because according to Jackie, Clay told her that they could get divorced and stay friends, but that he wouldn't stand for another man being in the kids' lives, that that would be a problem. According to Jackie's diary, Clay told her that if she thought she could wait a couple years and get a man and that everything would be fine, she was wrong. That he would kill her, the kids, and himself. In that entry, she noted that she asked Clay, So you're saying you would kill us all? According to her, Clay responded, Yes. The following month, in November of 2010, seven months before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay called her at 6 o'clock in the morning asking for his gun. She told him that she had it and wrote that Clay told her that she could either give it to him or he'd go out and buy another one that day. According to Jackie, she asked him what his problem was and Clay told her that he didn't like not having his gun and that he'd been having nightmares that she was cheating on him. She asked him if that's why he was asking for the gun, to which he said no. Jackie asked, well, you threatened to kill us last week. 
It's at that point that Clay seemed to try and gaslight Jackie by denying that he'd threatened to kill them and asked her why he would want to kill the kids. She told him that she didn't know why, but that that's what he'd said. She ended her entry noting that she'd told Clay that she'd give him his gun back, but that she was going to get one of her own for protection. According to Jackie, when she told him that, he just looked at her and smiled. If your skin is crawling right now, you are not alone. One month later, in December of 2010, six months before she disappeared, Jackie, who was staying with her sister at the time, wrote that she called Clay to let him know that she was officially filing for divorce. According to her entry, Clay told her that he wanted their son. One, just one of the triplets. He told her that the two of them were going to move to California and that allowing him to do that was the only way that he could ensure her safety that he couldn't live near her knowing that she might be with another man and that he had a feeling that one of them wouldn't be around to watch their kids grow up. The following day, she wrote that Clay called her and told her to take the gun out of his truck, put it in her mouth, and end it herself so that he could raise the kids. I want to point out here that on more than one occasion, Clay has told Jackie to kill herself. Once that he was getting his gun so that she could blow her head off, and this time telling her to get his gun so that she could put it in her mouth and end it herself. The emotional torture and manipulation that he put Jackie through is immeasurable. For about two and a half months, there were no entries, but on February 16, 2011, four months before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay had told her that he'd thought about killing himself and the kids the previous summer so that she could start a new life. Again, she wrote that he told her that he was afraid that they wouldn't see their kids grow up, adding that he was starting to hate her and would get her, that one day there would be a knock on the door and she'd open it and get blown away. One month later, in March of 2011, three months before she disappeared, Jackie wrote that Clay had told her that she didn't deserve to live, that he wished that he had a gun so that she could blow her head off. For a third time, involving himself in some twisted plan of suicide that he had for Jackie. She wrote that Clay told her that divorce would be her death sentence. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Clay was unraveling. 
Just five days after the last entry, Jackie wrote that Clay had called her at 7 a.m., yelling at her and telling her to meet him at the airport, saying again that divorcing him would be her death sentence and that he would get her, and if he couldn't get her, he'd kill the kids. According to her entry, Clay told her that he'd take the kids for a weekend fishing trip and then tell her that they drowned so that he could personally see her face. In reading Jackie's diary, it's clear that she was both physically and emotionally abused to an unimaginable degree. After the entries by date, Jackie made a sort of pro and cons list about her relationship with Clay, and according to the diary documents obtained by the Southeast Missourian, Jackie asked and answered the following questions. Jackie asked herself if she loved Clay. Her answer to that was that she wasn't in love with him, that she didn't miss him when he was gone, and that she doesn't enjoy the time they spend together. She wrote that she cared deeply about Clay, that she only wanted good things for him, and wanted him to be a good person and a good father. She added that she feels responsible for him like she needs to take care of him. The next question she asked herself was what they have in common. The only things she listed were snow skiing and the kids. Below that question, she made space for a list of reasons to stay in the marriage. Her reasons were fear that he would either injure or kill her and or the kids, and that if he didn't do that, she was afraid that he would emotionally injure the kids. She wrote that even after all of this, she felt bad for Clay, like she was abandoning him, and that she was anticipating an adversarial relationship and didn't know how she was going to deal with it. Following that list, Jackie asked herself what she loved about Clay. She wrote that he can be funny, that he's ambitious, and that he takes on new challenges. Lastly, she asked herself if she respected Clay. She wrote that she didn't respect the numerous bad decisions that he'd made, including bad decisions that she claims she allowed him to make. Jackie was an abused woman, and after all of this, she was still taking some of the blame for Clay's actions. Jackie added that she feels like Clay's taken advantage of her and that she isn't where she should be at almost 40. That Clay is a selfish person who puts himself before anyone else, including his wife and his kids. Jackie's entire diary was done in bullet points, but the last bullet point was left blank. Jackie had hit enter twice and anticipated adding yet another entry into this horrifying account of the last year of her life, but she never got the chance to. With every single emotion that just hit reading through Jackie's diary and getting a better understanding of the nightmare she was living in, it's easy to forget that all of this came out because of a federal hearing about internet harassment. The U.S. assistant attorney did more than enough to show that Clay was a danger to the public, and for the first time in a long time, no one had to wonder what he was going to do next. He was in jail and so much more was about to come to light. But all of that is going to have to wait until next year. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Jackie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, 
all your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. For the first time in the history of Big Mad True Crime, I'm going to be taking a week off, the week of Christmas. I could put in some corny line about catching up on old episodes, but you do what makes you happy. Catch up on old episodes or try listening to some of my favorites like The Prosecutors, Cold, The Thing About Pam, Least of These, Military Murder, Crimeaholics, Let's Not Meet, The Officer's Wife, Firebug, or any of the other really amazing true crime podcasts out there. I'll be bringing you part three along with a bonus episode for the Patreon fam on January 3rd, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. (laughs) 